And at this time, we'll invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. As they do, go over some of our announcements for the week and upcoming events. Um, High School Girls Discipleship Group meets today at noon up in the conference room. College Fellowship tonight at 6.30. And then tonight, our, uh, at six, from 6 to 8.30, our Singles Fellowship is starting their summer meetings with a potluck. So 6 o'clock, they meet in the classroom over there that's now overflow. It's that room right next to the um, lobby over on this side of the building. So if you're single or you just want to hang out with some single people, make you feel good, uh, come on out. And, and again, it's a potluck and it's a great time just to have some fellowship. And our singles fellowship during the summer is meeting every other week. There's childcare provided, flyers are available in the foyer. You saw the plug for Vacation Bible School, July 10th and 11th, sign up for it now, uh, Bob says, the builder, and, uh, and so also they could still use people to help out with that if you'd like to do so. Um, our next Mexico construction outreach is June 17th, so that's coming up this next Saturday. If you'd like to help out, you don't need any construction skills, they'd love for you to go along and they'll teach you what you need to know in order to do what they need to do. And so um, you could sign up for that, uh, give, give um, Lyndon a call or see him with any questions. Men's ministry will be meeting this Saturday at... Um, 8 o'clock in the fellowship hall. And also, you guys, in your bulletins, there's a green form that's a men's fellowship survey. They would like to know kind of what you're thinking about men's ministry and what you'd like to see and, and uh, how that could be improved. So if you're a man, fill that out and uh, drop it in the offering box in the foyer, I guess, and, and you'll be able to give your input. Um, Parents of fifth and sixth graders who are going into sixth and seventh grade in the fall, there's a special lunch for you Saturday, June 25th at 1230 in the Fellowship Hall, and it's to learn about our Ignite Junior High ministry. And so incoming sixth or seventh graders and their parents are all invited to come June 25th and, and uh, have a lunch and hear about our, uh, the youth ministry that we have a lot of activities coming up. Consult your bulletin and you'll see what all those are. In the end of September, we're having our married couples retreat and there are sign-up sheets in the foyer to sign up for that. I know you'll want to do that. Um, we'll be having communion this Wednesday night together and so come on out for that. And then the women's ministry in September, they're going to start having a daytime women's study in addition to the evening study that we've always had. And so there'll be an organizational meeting on Sunday, June 25th after second service over in the green room if you'd like to help serve or get involved with that. And so for you ladies who maybe can't make it on the evenings but you'd like to participate in a women's study, we'll be doing that in the daytime. And so on the 25th, Come on out and, and uh, put your input in and offer to help, and that's an exciting thing. If you can't make it to that meeting, you can call Danielle Sliman, and she can fill you in on it, and I think her number is probably in the bulletin, and I think that's about it. Oh, keep us in prayer. Some of us are heading over to Israel this week. We're leaving on Saturday, and so... I'm bummed, really. I mean, I love going to Israel. I'm looking forward to spending time with the people who are going with us, but I just don't like to be away from church, and especially because next Sunday is my fourth anniversary being the pastor of this church, and so... (laughs) 
So I kind of hate to miss that, but you know, you can leave presents and cards and everything in the, in the office. I'll get them when I come back. Now keep us in prayer while we are in Israel. I know it's going to be a great time, but we'll miss you and look forward to coming, being back in a couple of weeks. And so uh, let's see, well, let's just go over to Galatians chapter 5 now and see what the Lord has for us in his word. The study in Galatians that we've been in for the last few months, a lot of exciting truths about our freedom. You know, before... Jesus died for us, we weren't free, we couldn't be free, because we were enslaved to sin, the effects of sin, and the best we could do would be to try to follow the law in some way and hope to make a contact in a distant sort of way with God. But the truth is, anyone who's under the law is enslaved, and Paul develops that theme throughout the book of Galatians. But we're coming into the part of Galatians that's really exciting, because not only has he declared our freedom, but now he explains to us how it really works in real life. And we begin to untangle some of the things that have no doubt entered our minds as we've been learning about freedom. Freedom has a, a darker side to it, if you will. So often when we declare, you're free, well, you go, uh-oh, but what are you going to do with that freedom? See, the Bible lets us know that we are free. The gospel, it says, and, and we hear it and we go, wait a minute. You mean my relationship with God is only because of what he has done for me? There's nothing I can do to make him love me. There's nothing I can do to get him, you know, upset with me or to cut me off. And, and I say, that's right. You go, you mean you're telling me that if I leave church today and I go rob a liquor store, and get a bunch of liquor, and get drunk, and drive drunk, and go do some other stupid things, God will love me just as much? Yes. But if I do that and I'm a Christian, will God forgive me? Yes. So you're telling me that if I go and beat someone up today, God will still love me? Yes. And we go, wait a minute. This is crazy. I, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm free? Really? And Yes, that's the good news. That's the gospel. But the thing is, and Paul's going to deal with this a little bit in the passage that we look at today, freedom, it's a two-edged sword. It's dangerous, really, to set someone free because you don't always know what they're going to do with their freedom. We still have our flesh functioning. And so here in Galatians chapter 5, beginning with verse 13, Paul tells these Christians for you, brethren, have been called to liberty only. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You've been called to liberty but don't use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. See, flesh has a danger attached to it. As we live in our flesh, we have this tendency to do stupid things. In fact, more to the point, we have a drive within us that causes us to want to do things that will destroy us, we'll destroy each other and destroy ourselves along with it. We want to do things that are bad for us, basically. 
And so when we understand that we're set free, we have to wrestle with this, what are we going to do with the freedom? It's really a a dangerous thing, but God knew this. In the very beginning, back in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, he, He blessed them. And he gave them to each other as compliment to each other. And he placed them within the Garden of Eden. And he said, look, this place is beautiful. Gorgeous trees everywhere. Every kind of fruit imaginable is growing here. There's rivers running through the garden. You don't have to work. It's just awesome. Just enjoy each other and enjoy me. He said, there's only one thing, though. There's one tree in there that if you eat of it, it's going to kill you. You can eat of every other tree. But that one tree, just stay away from that and you'll be fine. Now, what an amazing freedom that they were given. No other prohibitions, no other sins, nothing else dangerous. The only thing that will hurt you is that one tree, so stay away from it. But as Satan came and tempted Eve, she partook of that tree, as did Adam. Made that choice, used that freedom to to partake of something that would ultimately be their death. Well, God came along and everything was different now. They realized there was, there was not the unity that they had at one time. They wanted to hide from each other, and so they made clothes out of fig leaves. Not very comfortable. But they had a sense that something's wrong. And then when God came along to walk in the garden with them, they hid. And God began to call out, Adam, where are you? What happened to you? And right away, they turned on each other. He, Adam, started blaming Eve for what had happened. They began to, now they were in competition. Eve had to blame someone. She blamed the serpent. But what had happened at that point was fellowship was broken because although they had this glorious freedom, freedom implies the ability to do something that's wrong as well. See, you're not free if you don't have any choice. If, if everything that you do is right, that's not freedom. That's ultimately not love. That's not loyalty. And so there has to be a choice. God had to give them a choice, knowing that it was scary. Now, you understand this. In life, as, as our children get older, we have to give them certain freedoms. It, it just goes with the territory. Oh, some people lock their kids up in a closet for 20 or 30 years. Eventually, you're going to get caught, and they're going to be on the front page of the Inquirer, and you're going to look like a jerk. So ultimately, you realize, okay, that's not an option, so I'm going to have to start setting my kids free. That dangerous day comes when your child gets a driver's license. And now, for a kid of 16, ooh, freedom. For a parent, panic. How are they going to handle that car? How are they going to handle the freedom? And hey, it just gets worse as time goes by because we know something about freedom. Freedom means that you can misuse that which is yours. God is giving you a choice. One of my professors in seminary said, the hardest thing for a parent is to give your child the same freedom that God gives them. And that is even the freedom to reject God if that's what they choose to do. God values freedom so much that he says to all of us, if you you want to reject me, you can. I will allow you to do it. We try to supersede that by forcing our faith down each other's throats. 
by putting ourselves under a set of rules, by denying the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for us on the cross. But the truth is we are set free by him. And there's a danger to that. And so Paul said, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Yes, you have this thing inside you that wants to do stupid things. But don't take that opportunity just because you can do it. I can go to the store and buy a hammer. It's my hammer. I can do with it whatever I want. If I choose to, I can hit you over the head with it. It's not very nice. It's not a very sociable thing to do. If I want, I can just hit myself over the head with it. Or I can use a hammer to drive nails into boards and to do all sorts of good things with it. My hammer, my choice but my consequences. Ultimately, what I do with it is going to affect my future joy and health and freedom. If I choose to use it in a way that isn't right, well, I suffer myself. You may have lived all your life in a house, working hard to pay that house off, maybe doubling up on payments sometimes, and you finally get the word, the house is yours. Now, before that house was yours, it's really the bank's the lenders. And, you know, there are certain things that you can't do with your house. They insist that you carry insurance on it. And if you burn your house down, they're going to come after you because it wasn't really your house. But once it becomes your house, you can do anything you want with it within reason. In fact, if you want, you just paid off your house. What if you celebrated by saying, wow, this is my house. So if I want, I can get a wrecking ball and come in here and just smash the house to smithereens, that would be okay. I guess, your house. So you get a bulldozer and you just plow it under. And you have this great feeling of freedom. You know, I don't have any more house payment. I don't have any more house. But we do that, that's ridiculous, but we do that in so many different ways. And in our lives, we make choices with our freedom that hurts us. When I go into In-N-Out and I get a double-double animal style, and it's just like, oh, my mouth is, this is great. And I pull through, and once I pay for that burger, it's mine. I can do with it whatever I want. And they have a trash can right there. If I want, I can just take that fresh double-double cheese melting through it, fresh lettuce, and I can just throw it in the trash. It's mine. I am free to do with it what I want because I paid for it. But because Jesus Christ paid for your freedom, he gives it to you, and you're free to do with your life what you want. But the warning from Paul is, be careful what you decide to do with it. It's better to eat a double-double than to throw it away. It's better to live in a house than to tear it down. Don't use your freedom in a way that your flesh tells you to if it's going to ultimately be destructive to you. After Adam and Eve had sinned, and it was sad, relationships that were created to depict God's relationship with us had been destroyed. But it didn't end there because they were thrown out of the Garden of Eden. Later they had two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain decided to make a sacrifice to God. And he sacrificed vegetables. Abel sacrificed an animal, which no doubt God had told them to do because it was a picture of the one Jesus Christ who would ultimately give his life for us. 
Well, God looked at the two sacrifices and he said, the meat, yeah. Vegetables, no way. God's going, I don't want vegetables. I want meat. Vegetables, I created them as decorations, garnish. You're not supposed to eat it. Okay, I just had to get that in. But he said to Cain, he goes, look, you have another chance. Just get an animal and kill it, and we're cool. But Cain was so upset because he couldn't do it his way that ultimately Cain ended up instead killing his brother Abel. As a result, killing his own brother, ripping his own family apart, and then receiving a curse upon himself at the same time. But what happened? God came and said to Cain, Hey, where's your brother? Where's Abel? And Cain said, Am I my brother's keeper? There's a huge tragedy in that statement that somehow he went from being in the only family in the world, two brothers, the bros out being able to do things together, enjoying the world, enjoying their parents, and now all of a sudden he said, I'm not my brother's keeper. It's not my problem. He isn't my problem. This was the first time in history that religion caused a war. It caused death. And it's caused a whole bunch of them since. Religion, people trying to get to God. However it is, whatever they try to do, ultimately it leads to pride. Ultimately it leads to death and to destruction. That's how it works. But back here in Galatians 5, Paul is saying, be careful, it doesn't have to be that way. You were created to have fellowship. You were created to minister to each other. And so, as he says, don't use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus had said this, all the law and the prophets are summed up by love God and love your neighbor. Matthew chapter 22. Over in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus pronounced what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What he is saying here, and you can see it clearly as he, as he talks about one another and serving one another and loving your neighbor as yourself what he's saying is, do you understand you're connected to everyone else? Do you understand that I created you to function together? I wanted you to understand who you are as a we, instead of just you and me, instead of competition. Do you understand that the brother that I gave you, the sister that I gave you, it's to complete you? And you have within your power and ability and capacity you have the means for joy and fulfillment. And it comes as you serve each other. As you understand that as you reach out and care about someone else and they do the same for you, that's the only way ultimately that you'll experience joy. That's the only way you'll feel what life is supposed to feel like. It's in working with others and for others. Paul said, esteem others higher than yourself. And if we would all do that, if we would all decide my job, my life is to lift up others. I want to encourage others. I want to do things that will help others feel appreciated and loved. If many of us would do that, 
most of us, all of us ultimately, would feel loved and secure too. Now, there's a lot of talk about looking out for number one. What can I do to help me? It's all about me. But ultimately, you know, and I've tried this, leaving nice little notes for yourself, it just doesn't make you feel that good. Looking in the mirror and going, you're looking good today. It's, there's a certain satisfaction that comes from such self-deception, but ultimately, you go, you know, I feel good about me, but I wish someone else felt good about me too. I wish there was a one another. I wish there was someone who would play along with me. It's funny, as we live our lives in the flesh and as we live our lives for our own personal pride, as we think that somehow if we defeat enough other people, we will ultimately win, we find out that as we tear other people down, somehow we are being diminished in the process as well. And ultimately, that kind of lifestyle, that selfishness, the flesh, it leads to you being very much alone with no one there to share even the victories, with no one to encourage you and lift you up and support you, we destroy ourselves. And so, as Paul was saying, hey, the deal is this. Here's what the whole law is about. And Jesus would say the law and the prophets too. And it's why Jesus said, okay, I got a new commandment for you. Love one another. This is what it comes down to. We discovered that what life is about is for us to care for each other. It's for us to realize that we are mysteriously connected in such a way that when I cut you, I bleed. That when I love you, I feel love. It's, a, it's an amazing sort of thing that we don't always see on the surface, but we can, it's no doubt undeniable. If you spend your life hurting other people, you're the one who will end up being hurt through the process all along. And religion does this very well. As soon as, as soon as someone starts feeling like they're getting somewhere with the Lord, they start to criticize other people and where they are with the Lord. The most brutal fights aren't between two religions that are totally diverse. The most brutal fights are fights within people who are closest religiously. You know, we often think that, boy, you look at what happens with the followers of Islam as they are fighting against Judaism, as they are fighting against Christianity, and rightfully so, we go, man, that's damaging. And yet, do you understand the greatest amount of death in the Middle East hasn't been because of Islam versus Christianity or Islam versus Judaism? It's the different sects within Islam that are fighting against each other. It starts with brothers. That's the way it works. And so you have the Shiites and the Sunnis killing each other brutally. You know, yeah, they'll every once in a while they get around to fighting someone else too. But do you see how ridiculous it is that the whole world is at war because of religion, because of the common desire that we all have to draw closer to God? It's our flesh. And God gives us a freedom, but what do we do with that freedom? We so often say, so, I got a hammer. I'll hammer in the morning. I'll hammer on my friends. I'll hammer on everyone who gets in my way. Oh, freedom is glorious. And all of a sudden I realize I haven't been beating someone else over the head. I, I've been beating myself over the head. I'm cutting off the very source of my own life. 
And so we have these brutal wars in the name of religion, in the name of the truth. And you'll never feel more attacked than when you're attacked by someone who's your brother or sister in the Lord. Why? Because we are so connected that it's just, it's really messy. And so the warning here, first of all, the the great standard, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because your neighbor is yourself. They are connected to you. You can't separate. You can't live life any way except in community. This is how it works. But then, hey, if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. And this is what can happen when people are free. As a result, there are so many people who just believe we better not talk about freedom. We better not declare it. Because when people understand it, the first thing they're going to do is beat each other up and destroy each other. And there is something within our flesh that tends toward that. We were enslaved to that flesh until Jesus Christ died for us and gave us a new life. Until he came and showed us what it's like to be truly selfless. Showed us what it's like to give yourself up so that the good of the greater collective good would happen. Oh, other people can talk about that philosophically, but Jesus is the only one who would really do it. Communism was a great idea that man concocted because let's just get everyone together. We are the world. And what happens? Hey, the people who got into power started to realize it feels pretty good to be able to order people around. And so brutal governments popped up in different areas of the world, down in South and Central America, all across Asia, and, you know, even in places like Irvine. And, no, not really. But, okay, Massachusetts. There can't be anybody here from Massachusetts. So, but... Things came up, issues popped up, and we go, what happened? This glorious idea of communism, and it's not working very well. Why is it not working very well? Because of flesh. But as Christians, we have, truly have, the freedom that we can make life work. We can love each other. We can value others over ourselves because Jesus showed us how to do it. He did it for us. And as a result, we have a chance to succeed at what the world attempts repeatedly and always fails at. But the warning is there. You're free. What are you going to do with your freedom? Will you serve each other? Will you establish and understand that connectedness that we have? Or will you decide to use your freedom to say, here's who I am, and you, you're nothing. I'm going to go out for me. I'm going to look for the power with my pride. I'm going to get as much influence as I can. And the more people I can destroy, the bigger of a big shot I'm going to be. Or do we say, you know, I don't have to let other people control me. I'm free. So what they do to me does not have to determine what I do to them. If they're mean to me, I don't have to be mean back to them. In the flesh, that's what happens. But in the spirit, God has set us free and said, you can rise above this. You can serve others. You can give of yourself and you can realize if you lash back at that person, you're lashing back at the person in the mirror. You can hack them to ribbons and you'll find out you're bleeding all over the floor because there's a connection. 
Look at what happens to families nowadays. Look at the, at the stress that exists within families. It's causing more than half of the people who get married to end up ripping their families apart and getting divorced. How does that happen? Because we lose sight of freedom. And we lose sight of what it's going to cost us if we bite and devour each other. And we end up consuming ourselves in the process. When family dynamics sound like dogs and cats going at it, whether we're like Cain and Abel, whether we're like some sort of holy religious war within our families where we're yelling at each other, each of us claiming God is on our side as we tear each other to ribbons, who wins in that battle? Well, the enemy does, Satan does. Because what, what he can't do on his own, we can do to ourselves. We have that death wish in our flesh. And if we follow it to its logical conclusion, we will bulldoze our houses that have been paid for, we'll throw double-doubles in the trash, we'll beat ourselves over the head with a hammer. We won't enjoy that which is ours to enjoy. And as a result, Hey, how about if the two of us fight over a house until we lose our house there? As long as you can't have it, you know, as long as I can't have it, I don't want anyone else to have it either. And so we continue to rip each other off, to tear each other up. Hey, the truth is you're connected to the person you're married to. And you're connected to the people within your family. And you're connected to the people in the church, the body of Christ. And, and we're ultimately connected to everyone on the face of this earth, everyone who has life, everyone who has breath. And anyone that we destroy, we're destroying a piece of ourselves as that happens. And freedom will allow us to do that. I sometimes talking to people who are struggling in their families and their marriages. And, and, you know, the easy thing to do is to tell people they're enslaved. You can't get a divorce. No, the law says. But I know we're not under that law. And so I have to declare the the truth, that you know what? If you wanted to get a divorce, you can. If you want to hang up your family right now and just break it up, you can do that. <gasps> You're kidding. But won't God get mad? No. Will he forgive me if I do it? Yeah. So, great. Let's just call it quits. But God would say, be careful. Because, yeah, you're free to go. You don't, have to do, you don't have to get along with anyone if you don't want. Or you can bounce from person to person to person until you find someone who's weak enough to let you do whatever you want to do and then convince yourself that you're going to be happy. You're free. And I mean that sincerely. I don't believe that if you give up on what God has given you that he's just going to say, now I'm going to nail you. He won't have to because you'll be nailing yourself. You'll be destroying yourself. And you're free to do that. You're free to take that step. But God says, and Paul says here in Galatians, but be careful because the one that you tear up is connected to you. The one that you destroy, you'll be doing more damage to yourself than you will even to them. So, yeah, we're free. There's nothing worse than to feel like you're just stuck with someone. There's nothing worse than to go, okay, ball and chain, I'm married, this is it, we have to do this. And God comes along and goes, you know, you've been together because you thought you had to. You don't have to. Don't insult me by pretending to represent who I am with my people and say, well, as long as here we are, 
You know, we're enduring, we're hanging in there, we can't wait for each other to die, but you know, <laughs> you're not doing anybody a favor. But God would also say, be careful what you do with your freedom, because I have gifted you with a special opportunity. And that opportunity is to love someone when they're unlovely, is to give to someone from your heart when you know you may not, it may not be reciprocated right away. But this is what I did for you. And you're going to find that if you lash out and you cut and you destroy, you just might be gobbled up. You may lose your own identity in the process. And so he says, yeah, you're free. But be careful what you do with that freedom. It's a big responsibility. Yeah, it's a great thing to be able to drive. But you can hurt yourself real quick in a car if you don't stay on the road. Yes, it's nice to be set free of the bondage of relationship. You don't have to do it. But be careful. Because relationship is a, is a realm in which when you hurt other people, you can't help but be hurting yourself even more and others around you. He goes, just, it's a word of caution. He's not saying, oh, I judge you and you're going to... No, not at all. He's going, no, truth is you're free. I've turned you loose. I've, I believe that you can handle freedom. I trust you with it. Oh, I know you can do some damage, but all I'm telling you is be careful because that which you damage most will be you. You will lose who you are in the process of trying to defend who you are. So he says from his heart, you brethren, my family, you have been called to liberty, it's true. Only don't use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. You and I, we are a part of one another. We're, we're a team. It's not me, it's we. And that's the way we're created to live our lives. Boy, we need to be careful because our freedom is a dangerous thing. We can do a lot of damage to others, to ourselves. There's a circumstance legally in which they will take away your freedom for a period of time, usually 72 hours for evaluation. and They can go another 30 days after that. It's called a 5150. It means you're a danger to yourself or others. Hey, the truth is, look in the mirror. We're all 5150. We are all a danger to ourselves or others. We prove it constantly. But God says, you don't have to do that. Just because you have the freedom to do it doesn't mean you ought to do it or even ought to try it. There are a lot of things that seem like they might be fun, but I don't need to try them all just because I can. Just because I can get away with something doesn't mean I need to do it. I need to look at everything I do and realize, okay, I'm connected with others. What is what I do going to do to affect others? Ultimately, realizing that it's going to affect me the greatest. I'm connected. We're created to function as we. We're created to function as a body. And if we don't understand that individually and learn how to serve, then ultimately, 
like two snakes, each grabbing the other one by its tail, will gobble each other down. Who wins? No one. No one. Understand, we're created as a body, and it's in that environment that freedom finds its greatest expression. And it's in that environment of we that freedom finds the source of life, ultimately. Now in ensuing weeks, when I get back from Israel and we start talking about walking in the Spirit, this is the scenery that God paints to prepare us for how to walk, how to live our lives. But he warns us of this right up front. He's declared the glory of freedom. He said, no longer do you have to do anything. Your future relationship with God is not determined by what you do or how good you are. And that's good news. But beyond that, he says, there's a responsibility here. And man, life doesn't have to be the way it is. You're enslaved to your habits. You're enslaved to your flesh. You're looking out for number one, just trying to do what you want to do. And God goes, there's something better. I want you to serve others. And in so doing, you'll find that glorious freedom of having somebody serve you. Of having someone love you, not because they have to, but because they choose to. And that's life. That's living, ultimately. That's what God has for us. That's what is the most fulfilling and rewarding. It's how life can become everything that provides that happiness, that joy that he wants us to have. The only other option, live according to your flesh. You can even be saved and do that. Salvation isn't going to be affected, but you're going to be awful lonely and ultimately, you'll find out the one you're destroying is you. Paul would say, the Lord would say, don't do that. Let's pray. Lord, how grateful we are that you showed us first what it is to serve. What it is to put someone good above our own good. We never could have figured that out on our own, but Jesus, you showed it to us in such a, such a tangible way, such an extreme way. Lord, as you set us free, as you help us to realize what it feels that we're not in bondage anymore, help us not to go crazy with our freedom and enslave ourselves to something that will destroy us our flesh. God, instead, help us to discover the joy and the beauty of living a selfless life, of loving others, realizing that when we love them, we're loving ourselves because we're all connected. Help us to embrace that connectedness. Help us not to bite and devour each other as spouses, as families, as a church, as a nation, as a world. Help us to realize when we fight, we're hurting ourselves. So because you paid the price for our freedom, Lord, help us to handle it in a mature way, to relish and appreciate it and appreciate each other in the process. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.